Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As I said a little bit ago, our, our sermon series has been focused on the idea that we live in a country divided. Today we're going to look at Jesus' words in Matthew 22 to discover why Jesus and how Jesus teaches a separation of church and state. And when those two entities, church and state, are in their proper places, then harmony and peace is the result. Our text takes place on Tuesday of Holy Week, just three short days before Jesus is going to be crucified. Sometimes termed Busy Tuesday or Teaching Tuesday, Jesus spent a lot of time on that day teaching his disciples and others and also answering the questions that were asked of him by the Pharisees, the chief priests, the other teachers of the law. If you've ever seen a, a press conference, you probably have seen those conferences where people crowd in around the person being interviewed and try to get their hands up high as they can so they get called on and their question gets answered. I know it's been different in these COVID times with press conferences, but, but you might remember what that looks like. And then you also know this, that there are times when the reporters want to trap or trick the person who is giving the interview by asking them difficult questions that paint them into a corner. It's nothing new, is it? It's exactly what the Pharisees were doing to Jesus in our text for today. As Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun and Jesus faced these questions from the Pharisees and the other chief priests and teachers of the law, these, these questions that were meant to trick him and trap him and make him look bad. Especially as it got closer to his crucifixion, they were dead set on getting Jesus to be the enemy of the people. So today as we take a look at Jesus' answer to the question that was posed to him by the Pharisees, we see Jesus teaching very clearly a delineation, a separation between church and state. But as we look at Jesus' words a little bit more closely, what his purpose is in demonstrating this separation is to show how they can work together. So first of all, the point that we'll make today is that Jesus didn't come to sow political discord. As a matter of fact, Jesus came to bring something far better, a peace that results from the forgiveness of sins in him. Let's take a look at how Matthew reports it again in the first few verses of Matthew 22. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? The Pharisees thought they finally had the perfect plan, the perfect way to trap Jesus in his words. They came up with this idea and it seemed foolproof to them. It wasn't just the Pharisees' disciples who went to Jesus either. It was also a partnership with the Herodians, which was a unique thing because they were not on the same page politically. They had different political ideology in Jesus' day. The Pharisees wanted the Jewish people to be in charge of their own nation, to be sovereign in their own country. The Herodians, on the other hand, as the name suggests, supported 
King Herod and his family in a collaboration with the Roman government. And yet, as so often happens, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And these two groups, the Pharisees and the Herodians, had a common enemy in Jesus. They wanted to trap Jesus, to trick him, to make him look bad, and to be rid of him once and for all. They were looking to twist Jesus' words so that he was left with no defense. And they thought they came up with the perfect question to discredit Jesus. Is it right, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Can you see what they were thinking? If Jesus answered the question, yes, of course it's lawful to pay taxes to the Roman government, then he was supporting an oppressive government and he was no friend of the Jewish people. If Jesus said, no, it's not right to pay taxes to Caesar, then he was anti-Roman. He was leading some sort of rebellion. He was fomenting insurrection. And just a few days later, before Pilate, that's exactly what the chief priests and teachers of the law accused Jesus of doing. This was a perfect plan, they thought. Jesus can't answer this question because if he answers it one way or the other, we'll be able to stir up political trouble for him and our enemy will be gone forever. What Jesus answered is truly amazing. Let's take a look at it again in Matthew 22, 18 to 21. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites! Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God's what is God's. What a response Jesus has when they think they have him nailed down, perfectly trapped, Jesus knew the exact answer to get out of their trap. You would think that by now, we certainly could make a case for the fact that the Pharisees should know better. They've tried to trick and trap Jesus before and, and he's always had an answer for them. But Jesus knew exactly where they were coming from. He exposed the hypocrisy of their question and even deeper, the hypocrisy of their hearts. They knew they that they were not really interested in whether Jesus thought it was right to pay taxes or not. What they were trying to do is get Jesus to say something that they could later use against him. And so Jesus asks for a coin, a denarius, the coin used to pay the tax. And he holds it up as an object lesson to everyone. Can you almost see Jesus doing that? Take a look. Take a look at this coin. Whose inscription is on the coin? And those who were questioning him had no choice but to answer, it's Caesar's inscription. And with that one question, Jesus had made his point. His answer, so give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Jesus is not advocating some sort of rebellion. He is simply saying, we owe the government our respect and honor. But Give to God what is God's. Jesus also teaches that allegiance to God is greater than allegiance to government and that's why the two are separate. They have separate purposes. Can you imagine what that was like for those disciples of the Pharisees and the Herodians to stand before Jesus thinking they had him painted into a corner, there was no way for him to wriggle out of this one and then he gives the perfect answer? 
They had to be wondering to themselves, who is this? As they walked away completely amazed by what Jesus had taught. It's not a surprise to us today, is it, that people are still trying to politicize Jesus? If you look on Amazon, you can find the titles of both of these books that I have on the screen. You can find them and purchase them if you're so interested. I'm not. But there's a book entitled, Jesus is Not a Republican, and a book entitled, Jesus Was a Republican. People try to make Jesus pit Jesus against one side of our political divide in the country or the other. And here's the sad part of it, the misfortune in all of this. It's unfortunate that people who want to make Jesus political miss the whole purpose of why Jesus came. It's exactly the problem with the Pharisees and the Herodians as well. As they came before Jesus, they were only interested in tripping Jesus up, not interested in why Jesus was there. They wanted Jesus to stir up political trouble. And Jesus wasn't about sowing those seeds of discord. Instead, what Jesus wants, and what Jesus wants you and me to know as well, is that he wants to bring peace. Peace through the forgiveness of sins. That's one of the lessons that we can take from Jesus' answer to the Herodians and to the Pharisees and their disciples. Jesus had one purpose in coming to this earth. It's so clear in the Gospels. Through the Gospel of Mark, we hear Jesus say this about himself. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus tells us this. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus had a singular focus as he came to this earth to save all people from sin and that focus never changed. He wasn't here for reform of the political system. He doesn't take sides in in politics and support one form of government over another or one leader over another. Jesus isn't about what happens in earthly government. That's not his priority and it certainly wasn't his priority when he came to this this earth What Jesus came to do is give up his life. He came to sacrifice so that you and I have peace with God, that all people have sins forgiven and peace with their heavenly Father. That helps us understand why Jesus teaches a separation of church and state. It makes Jesus' answer clear when we remember his purpose. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, Jesus says. Really, obedience to government is obedience to God. As long as that government doesn't ask us to do something that goes against what God says in his word, they are God's representatives. Representatives through whom God has brought great blessings into our lives. Obedience to government is our thanksgiving. It shows that we are thankful to God for the blessings that he provides. Oh, I know. There is no perfect government as we talked about last time. And so it's easy. It's easy to target. It's easy to blame government for some of the ills and troubles that we have in society. And certainly they aren't without blame. There certainly is room for improvement in a, in a government and in governing officials. And yet, think of the good that God does through government too. The blessings that he brings us. The peace that we are given through secured borders, the justice that we know will be part of 
the society in which we live, and even more, the freedom. The freedom that we have to gather together to worship, to listen to the word of God. I'm sure you're all familiar with the First Amendment rights that we have as citizens of the United States of America, that Congress can make no law that tells us what to do when it comes to practicing our religion, that we have a freedom to assemble. What a beautiful thing. I have yet to get a letter from Congress or any governing authority telling us what we have to teach, what we have to say when we stand up in front of people in church on Sunday. Not everyone has that blessing. What an incredible opportunity we have simply to come and hear the truth of God's word every single week. And then Jesus goes one step further. Give to God what is God's. You see, what Jesus is demonstrating to us is the most important allegiance, the most important thing that we can do is give our heart, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> give our hearts to God. You see, <coughs> what God wants more than anything is our hearts because he knows that when he has our hearts that everything else will fall into place. We can't expect our government we can't expect an earthly entity to be able to bring people to faith. That's not the job of government. But it is the job of God's people. It is the responsibility and the privilege that God has given to us. That's one of the things our freedom allows us to do. Our freedom allows us to reach out, to reach out with the, the peace of Jesus, with the gospel, the good news that Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection is a guarantee that all sins are paid in full. What a blessing for us as God's people to look again and again, to read again and again, to hear over and over the joy of knowing that we are God's own children forgiven. And then develop a heart of Jesus so that we look as Jesus did to seek and to save the lost. Will you consider with me just for a moment what a difference we can make as God's people when we promote the love of Jesus and the peace that he brings in the midst of a country that's divided, in the midst of a political, dis political disagreements and discord, we have a message that unites. It's all about the peace that Jesus and Jesus alone brings. Some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, Jesus' purpose on earth was to save us from sin, not political reform. We don't have to try to politicize Jesus because he is not about anything more than saving souls. Number two, we, re we rejoice that God has provided a government that gives us freedom to worship. We know that it's not that way all around our world and so what a blessing to live in a country where we're free to gather, free to worship, free to praise our God in the ways that we have chosen to do so. And then finally, number three, our freedom gives us opportunity to reach out in love to others. Will you consider with me just for a minute today who in your life, someone close to you maybe, who's going through a tough time, who could really use the peace of Jesus, maybe so concerned and so worried about the political divide in our country that they've lost sight of the fact that Jesus is the one who forgives sins, that Jesus is the one who brings peace with God because all of our sins are washed away. Find an opportunity. Look for that opportunity to share that good news of Jesus with that person. 
It's just a couple of weeks away now, our national election. And I know that there is a lot of fear in our country, a lot of trepidation. No matter what side you support, there's no telling what exactly might happen when the vote is counted and the president is chosen. And as God's people, as citizens of the United States, we certainly have a blessing, don't we, to be able to vote for our leaders. And yes, we should get out and vote and take that seriously. But it's not the job of the church to tell you who to vote for. As a matter of fact, in a country that's divided, those kind of things can also divide a church, can't they? When a church says you should support one candidate over another, doesn't that also divide Christians? And certainly that's not God's purpose for us. That's why Jesus teaches a separation of church and state. That the state will take care of the things that God has assigned to it and the church is all about Jesus and the forgiveness that he is one. Maybe the best question we can ask ourselves today is, what are we known for? Jesus once said this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. That's the true mark of the church. That's the true mark of people who follow Jesus. It's love. Love for all people because Jesus has love for all people. A heart for all people as Jesus had that heart to seek and save the lost. Let's hold on to that love for ourselves. Find comfort in the love of Jesus for us and then for others as well. As we proclaim the love and the joy and the peace that we have through him. Amen. Peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.